You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Well, it's great, again, like I said, to be here. And, and uh, I don't know if you've done this yet, but would you look at your neighbor and just say, I'm so glad I'm sitting beside you this morning. And you've got to look at your other neighbor and just say, you look absolutely amazing this Easter Sunday. And you do. You do look amazing. And you, and you just really fit this Orpheum venue on this great day. We're going to be talking about the, the word up this morning. The whole theme as we've gone into this is on up. A number of weeks ago, Peter Legg, who's a great speaker, he had sent out this little article on the word up, and he, the article was entitled, Up, What Does It Really Mean? And this is what the article said. It said, this two-letter word in English has more meanings than any other two-letter word. It's listed in the dictionary as an adverb, an adjective, a noun, and a verb. It's easy to understand up, meaning toward the sky or at the top of the list, but when we awaken in the morning, why do we wake up? At a meeting, why does a topic come up? Why do we speak up? And why are officers up for election? And why is it up to the secretary to write up a report? We, we call up our friends. We brighten up a room. We polish up the silver, warm up the leftovers, and clean up the kitchen. We lock up the house, and we fix up the old car. At other times, this little word has special meanings. People stir up trouble, line up for tickets, work up an appetite, and think up excuses. Yeah. To dress is one thing, but to be dressed up is special. By the way, you all look like you dressed up this morning. You look great. Yeah. And this up is confusing. A drain must be opened up because it stopped up. We open up a store in the morning because we close it up at night. We seem to be pretty mixed up about up. To be knowledgeable about the proper use of up, look up the word up in the dictionary. In a desk-sized dictionary, it takes up almost a quarter page and can add up to about 30 definitions. If you're up to, you might try building an up list of the many up is used. It will take up a lot of your time, but if you don't give up, you will wind up with a hundred more. When it threatens to rain, we say it's clouding up. When the sun comes out, we say it's clearing up. When it rains, the earth soaks it up. When it does not rain for a while, things dry up. One could go on and on, but I'll wrap up for now. My time is up. So we are in the up campaign. Yeah, that's fun. Well, I think the greatest word up that I like is the fact that he was lifted up. He was raised up. And we're going to focus on that this morning, the power of the resurrection. We can call it the power of up, if you like. Because it is that resurrection power that lifted up our Lord Jesus. And all over the world today, people are celebrating this event, that he was resurrected. There's a tradition in the church that when the speaker says he is risen, the congregation responds by he is risen indeed. That's known around the world to do that. So if I would say he's risen, you would say he's risen indeed. So why don't we try it this morning here in Vancouver? He is risen. Okay, you did great, but let's say it one more time, a little louder, just for our Lord. He is risen. Absolutely. He is risen indeed. His resurrection was up. It wasn't down. It's an updraft, not a downdraft. Our Lord was lifted up. Matter of fact, if you go to the book of Acts, it's there in your notes, Acts chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. It says, now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up. 
and a cloud received him out of their sight. And they looked up steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You know, as we get older, I think we even want to go up more. I have a, a grandmother who's getting older, or she's over 100, and she'd like to be taken up. And as we get older, we think, man, what, what would it be like to just break the hold of gravity and be taken up? Men have tried all kinds of things over the years. We, they've tried airplanes, and we've tried all kinds of things to, to be taken up. And as we get older, we, we think about it even more. There's a great movie that came out last year that was called Up. It uh, had great reviews about a guy who was taken up. Here's a little clip, and then we get into the message. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Mr. Fredrickson. You ready to go? (laughs) Ready as I'll ever be. Would you do me a favor and take this? I'll meet you at the van in just a minute. I, uh, want to say one last goodbye to the old place. Sure. Take all the time you need, sir. (laughs) That's typical. He's probably going to the bathroom for the 80th time. (sighs) You'd think he'd take better care of his house. Like that. So long, boys. I'll send you a postcard from Paradise Falls. And uh, the movie relates to a lot of people because at some point in our lives, we just would kind of like to get off the planet, get off the merry-go-round. Can some way can I get out of here? I'm going to talk about the way out is through the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a cute movie, but the, the balloons won't set us free. There's a power that will set you free, though, and that's the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture that we read here in the book of Acts, prior to this, we had that amazing event where the women went to the tomb and they found that the tomb was empty. It's an historical fact that the grave is empty. And there's a lot of smart minds that have worked on proving it otherwise, but in the course of trying to disprove that fact, they've become great believers in the fact that Jesus indeed did die and was raised again. And 
It's the most studied event in history. More people have settled to disprove it, but they keep coming back to find that it's true. Frank Morrison was a British lawyer, and he settled to disprove the resurrection, but the skeptic ended up writing the classic book, Who Moved the Stone? Lew Wallace also settled to disprove it, but he ended up writing a book that defended it called Ben-Hur. And if you've seen the movie Ben-Hur, you'll know the story. Actually, there's a number of movies made out of that book. And the guy started by trying to disprove it, but he realized it's true when you look at the evidence. Another brilliant scholar by the name of Simon Greenleaf from Harvard Law School, he looked at all the evidence and he concluded that anyone who examined all of it would have to conclude that it is indeed a historical fact. The grave was empty. Jesus was raised from the dead. He didn't just pass out. He didn't just recover. He was dead, dead, but came back to life. Sir Lionel LeCoux, he was a politician, a diplomat, a well-known lawyer, He was famed because he had 245 consecutive successful defenses in murder cases. He's in the Guinness World Book of Records. Thank you, yeah. That book, that big one that you see at Costco in that book, yeah. He he stated, I spent more than 42 years as a defense lawyer in many parts of the world. I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. So it for sure is a fact that this did take place. What I want to make clear this morning, that it was a fact, it was an event, but the fact of that event lives on today. History reveals that it really happened. The scriptures, of course, talk much about that event and how it took place, how it was predicted, how it was prophesied, and then how it came to pass. A lot of references to it. So we have those different arguments for it, but I think one of the most compelling cases that shows us the resurrection really still is powerful in our present day is lives that have been changed. Our lives that have been changed by it. It's, it's so overwhelming, the evidence here and around the world. I'm going to ask just one individual to come and share her story of how this power of up, the resurrection power, changed her life. I'm going to invite Karen Wong to come and share. Would you give her a big hand as she comes? Good morning. Buenos dias. Tosan. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Cristo ha resucitado. En verdad ha resucitado. Que dog foot with you. Ta coxat foot with you. Good morning, everybody. I am so privileged to be here. I'm actually a bit nervous, so just bear with me. <laughs> uh, when Pastor Dave asked me if I would do this, I would. Surprise. So here I am, you know that I agree to share with you. It is a great honor to be here to share with you how Jesus built up my life since 2001 when I accepted him and he became part of my life. If I were to describe my life, I would like to compare it to the process of designing a building and constructing a building. Where first I was the chief architect of my life, but then Jesus becomes the master builder. As you follow this analogy with me, uh, let me just give you some context about my life, some details, so that you understand why I speak three languages. (laughs) (laughs) I was born in Venezuela, and I was raised there, 
I come from a Chinese traditional family with amazing, awesome parents who worked really hard to give me and my sister the best of everything. And one of the things that they gave us was good education. So, so they enrolled us in a, the best Catholic school in, one, in our city. And it was through that Catholic school that I started to learn a bit about God. But I always equated God with rules that were really hard to follow. Growing up, even though I had everything I could ask for and I had my parents' love, for some reason during my elementary years, I felt really dark. I was gloomy. In fact, my grandpa always said, complained to my parents and asked, was like, why Karen's always bitter? In fact, he always always come to me and tell me in Chinese, you know, like, you know, why you always have a bitter face? I really did not know. Mm-hmm. I think that depression just grew over stronger um, in my teenage years. And um, I thought of myself as not good enough, not smart enough, not beautiful enough. And I really didn't know why, actually. Many times I cried in my room asking why. Perhaps I was sandwiched between two different cultures and the expectation, and that really made it. So after graduating from high school, I decided that I was done being with depressed. I was done being passive, and I needed to build my own life. So I became the master architect of my own life. I figured that if I did more, I learned more, I traveled more, I would become more and gain more. I thought that that would actually help that depression that I had deep inside of me. So how did I build my life? I built my life by doing things for others because I wanted to please everybody, uh, including my friends, my family, my parents. I also built my life around learning because I thought if I learn more, I could achieve more. And really, I love learning. If you know me, I study so much. Uh, I thought if I excelled in my studies, I would be seen as a confident person, capable, and it would actually give me some sort of identity. I took two years of architecture in Venezuela. I came to Canada thanks to my parents. I studied uh, a degree in linguistic at SFU, but none of that really satisfied me at all. So then I went on and I said, well, I'm going to travel, and I saved up, and I traveled around Europe for two months. I came back, great memories, but it was empty. Then I moved on to the next thing, which was I pursued the idea of being in a relationship with someone. And so I eventually did find a boyfriend, but that was an unhealthy relationship, and really I ended up brokenhearted. I built my life on shallow foundation. At this point, I realized that nothing that I had built brought happiness into my life. It didn't bring completeness. It didn't bring me purpose. And what do you know? At that point, God was already working. He, uh, I was able to meet a friend who invited me to Coastal Church. Uh, and I think he saw the despair inside of me, the darkness inside of me. He said, Karen, you have to come to church. At that point, I actually started like him a lot. So I said, you know, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to go to church. Uh, wrong, you know, wrong motive. Um, but I came. I went to church, and I thought to myself, you know, why am I here? I know about God. I grew up in the Catholic church. I really didn't like it. I didn't really believe in it. But hey, well, I'm here. I sat in the back row, and the message that day was titled, I still clearly remember, it says, it was finding the love of your life. That really engaged my attention. And I thought, okay. Um, Because I really deep inside, that was what I was looking for, the love of my life. Then at some point, Pastor Day talked about how we cannot be complete and fulfilled with a spouse or with a boyfriend until we are complete in Jesus and one with him. 
I was speechless. I sat there and with tears in my eyes, I was thinking of my empty life and I realized I needed him. So at the end, when Pastor Dave gave that invitation, I shyly, you know, like, I was like, yeah, I need <laughs> Jesus. So um, nobody was looking, which was good. <laughs> uh, so that, after that, I started to go to church. And now I had Jesus in my life. And I was attending church. And I also went to the Alpha course, which Alan uh, was my Alpha leader. And then quickly after that, I started to date the friend who brought me to church. And that actually um, took me to a series of events. I realized that I wasn't worshiping Jesus. I was worshiping my boyfriend who became everything to me. This led to an unhealthy relationship again and that ended at the end of the year. I was just devastated. It was as if a hurricane had come through my life, stormed through, and tore me to pieces. My building was not built on solid foundation. So the next year, I made a commitment to let Jesus be the chief architect of my life so that he could rebuild it completely. He helped me put down the old structure I had built on my own and gave me a new start, a new life. I was able to, go, to let go of painful experiences, senseless plans, and I started to draw near to Jesus, my only hope. Now, the next process was intense. Jesus had to remove all the weak foundations, and he did it through Celebrate Recovery Program, which we'd had at the at church then. He revealed through it then that I was basing my self-image on what other people would say about me instead of what God said about me. And I needed to change that old thinking. I admitted I was codependent, and I also admitted that I was bitter because I thought I wasn't loved by others. However, by the grace of God, I was able to ask God for forgiveness for my wrong attitude. And eventually, I was able to forgive myself and others. We often hear Pastor Dave use the analogy that in order to build a life that is the size of a Shangri-La, we need to build deep foundation. And this was the time for me to do that. Jesus built foundation in me. God continued to work in me and put a desire to get to know him more. Then I understood that his love for me was not based on what I could do, my achievements, my performance. He loved me. He considered me so worthy mm. that he took the punishment for my worst actions and my worst attitude so I could have an abundant life here on earth and have eternal life. I didn't have to strive anymore for love. And um, I was so happy because of that. This foundation actually continued on 2004 and 2005, where Jesus led me to take an internship here at church under the mentorship of Pastor Dave and Cheryl and Donald Saliver, who's sitting there. Um, it was actually construction time. When you think of building, construction time is hard work. So during this internship, I started to build my life using God's blueprints. I learned to put the, God's word in my heart so that I would not fall back into that old thinking and behaving. I learned how to pray and talk to God on a daily basis. And just the joy to recognize his voice mm. was amazing. Now I was a healthier person. Health, I had a healthier heart. I was completing Jesus, which enabled really me really serve the church and others out of the fullness of my heart. Whereas before, I would do things so that I would be loved. God gave me a purpose. He has shown me that he didn't create me but just by accident, that he placed me in a Chinese family in a Latin American country and moved me all the way to Canada for a reason, so that I could relate to different cultures and do his work. 
it was all in his plan that I would be able to, to do that. And also all the experiences I went through have allowed me to serve our current coastal interns that are doing the same thing. And so I've been, I'm able to help them grow in Christ and build a strong foundation. Today, Jesus is still rebuilding my life. He lifted me up from the ground up, reconstructed my life for the better. I have not yet arrived. I'm still a work in progress. And Jesus is constantly working in me. If you were to ask me right now how tall my building is, I would say, eh, not very high. <laughs> high enough or tall enough so that I can serve the church, serve my pastors, serve the interns, and serve through missions. Without, without Jesus in my life, my life would be a shock. With him in my life, my life is revitalized for his purpose. I know we all walk different journeys, but whether you are in the excavation process, foundation process, or construction process, it is my prayer that you would give Jesus the chance to be the master builder and architect of your life. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Karen. Thanks again, Karen. That's a great story and a, really a great story of, of a comeback. And uh, that is kind of in essence what the resurrection is about. It's about a comeback. And I think the, the greatest comeback in history was when Christ lay in the grave and everybody thinks it's over. Satan thought he had it done. It was finished. I've got this taken care of. But Sunday's coming. There's another day coming. The resurrection. The greatest comeback if history was the resurrection. And to verify that, I would like to draw your attention to Sports Illustrated. Because in November of 2001, World Series, the Arizona Diamondbacks came back from uh, a, a tough situation to beat the New York Yankees. It, it, was, it was a comeback, really, that was epic. I think Vancouver kind of needs a comeback right about now, too. But uh, we'll say a prayer for them later, the comeback. Diamondbacks needed to come back, and they did. They came back, and they won the World Series in seven games, and it made big news. Sports Illustrated put it on the front page of the, or the front cover of that November magazine. Then they did something interesting. In the magazine, they listed what they felt were the top ten comebacks of all times. And Elvis Presley made it in 1968. He had to come back when he went on television, did a special. After making a bunch of those kind of cheesy movies, he came back and he had this great comeback. Uh, Muhammad Ali was on there because he, after seven years, had come back and knocked out George Fraser. And that was a comeback. And Japan was on the list coming back after the war. Germany was on the list. I forget who else was on the list. Oh, Michael Jordan was on the list because he came back from playing baseball. I remember, went back to basketball in the 90s, so he was on the list. But the Sports Illustrated magazine listed of all times, the number one comeback was Jesus Christ, who in 33 AD, yeah, they said, number one comeback, our Lord. Yeah. And their comments were, he defied the odds and he stunned the Roman people that this man who they put in the grave had come back. And so that was the number one comeback of all times. And I agree with Sports Illustrated. It was the number one comeback. Now, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about a person who saw that. And really, his story is a story of the comeback. He, he saw, was there during that time, and that's Peter. Peter was called by our Lord. He was a fisherman. 
And our Lord called him. He said, you know, leave that and come and follow me and you'll become a fisher of men. It's an amazing story because it's told in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell the story. And when he says to him, I will make you a fisherman when you follow me. That's the way it works. And you heard Karen's story now. She's telling you that this is a work in progress. When you say, you know, I want to become a Christian and invite the Lord into my life, it's not just bang and, and all of a sudden everything's put in order. There's, there's a process. Of course, he's with us. Our life is no doubt changed from, from darkness to light. But there's this process that takes place. And when the Lord said to, to Peter... Follow me and I will make you. There's this process that we we change as we follow the Lord. And he was called as a fisherman. And if you study the life of Peter, he's he's a really cool guy. He's a man's man. He was probably in his late teens, early 20s. He was a pretty good entrepreneur already. He had people working for him in his fishing industry. And he leaves it because this is an adventure. He really admired Jesus. And, of course, Jesus is the ultimate man's man, and just an incredible leader, and he, and he gives his life now to follow the Lord. And for three years, Peter's right there following with Jesus, and he absolutely loves the Lord. He, he really admires Jesus. He looks up to him. He sees him do all these incredible things. His teaching is like nothing they've ever heard before, and Peter's, he's so thrilled just to be one of the disciples and, and follow with our Lord Jesus. And as the story unfolds, you know the story. Peter's the guy who walks on the water and and then begins to drown because he took his eyes off the Lord. A lot of stories about Peter. And then a few days ago, we talked about the Passover. Peter was there at the Passover supper. And Jesus gets up and he says, I have to wash the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter and Peter says, no, 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 don't wash my feet. No, 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 don't wash my feet, Lord. And the Lord said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And, and typical Peter, Peter says, well, then, then wash all of me. And the Lord says, no, your feet's enough. That's good, Peter. And so just wash your feet. And, uh, and he says, you know, and then the Lord says, you know what, Peter? At that setting, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. Because he said, you know, that one of them would deny him. And Peter had made the statement. He said, you know, everybody will leave you, but not me. Man, I would go to prison for you. I'll take a bullet for you, Jesus, but I'm not going to leave you. And the Lord had said, well, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to actually, you'll do it three times. You'll deny me. And Peter says, no way. Well, they leave that meal and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane and where the Lord prays. And Peter's supposed to be praying, but he falls asleep. And he wakes up and he sees these soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. And as they're coming to arrest him, Peter's like, no way, you're not taking my Lord. And he, and he pulls out his sword. And he, one of the guards that comes up and he, the Bible says he cut off his ear. Jesus reaches down and puts the ear back on and heals it. But The fact that he cut off the guy's ear tells me that he was going for the head. Like the guy must have ducked and he just... So that's Peter. You get an idea of this guy. He's he's impetuous. There's some pride in him. No, don't wash my feet. Nobody else will. Uh, They might deny you, but I won't. So this is the nature of Peter. And then after the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers come and all the disciples split. Where's Peter now? Now he's vacillating from being this strong, I can do it, no will deny it. Now he's afraid, and that was his nature. His name originally was Simon, because he's often referred to as Simon Peter. The Lord gave him the word Peter. That's a nickname. That means rock, strong, and stable. That's the way the Lord saw him, but here he's oscillating again like a reed, tossed to and fro. And while the Lord is taken away for trial, Peter goes and hides. He sneaks into the trial in the back. He's sitting there. 
There's a fire. The soldiers are warming their hands. It's in the dark of night, and they've brought the people together to try our Lord. And there's Peter, and he's, he's warming his hands over the fire. One of the slave girls says, hey, aren't you the guy who was hanging out with Jesus of Nazareth? And Peter says, no, no, that's not me. And she says again, aren't you, you, you really look like him. You talk like him. I'm sure you've got that Galilean accent. You're one of them. He says, no, no, that's not me. And the third time again, aren't you one of them? And he says, no, that's not me. And then finally he just swears a blue streak like he used to. And when he does, he hears cock-a-doodle-doo. And he goes, oh, my goodness, I did it. I denied the Lord three times. Now, he, at this point, Peter just runs and he hides, he cries, he's a broken man, and he's, this is it, he's hit bottom, he has failed so bad. And the only one we know that goes to the cross is John. We know John goes to the cross when our Lord is crucified because the Lord would look down from the cross and he would say, John, take care of my mother. And so we know John's there, but we, we don't know if any of the other disciples that were at the cross, they were in hiding. Peter's in hiding. Behind bolted doors, they weren't at the cross. His body comes down off the cross. Then he's taken and he's put into the tomb. But Peter, this time, he's, he's hiding behind the doors of a, where they'd gathered. Broken, hurting. At this point, we pick up the story in Mark chapter 16. It's there in your notes. This is a story of the women when they're going over to visit the tomb. So let's pick it up, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 7. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come in and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, you've got to admire these women, right? It's, they came there in the dark of night. These are ladies. They expected to have Roman soldiers guarding it. And just with great tenacity, they said, let's go do this. It's interesting that the first individuals that heard about the resurrection were the women. I'll tell you what, Jesus did something to liberate women. He was the ultimate woman's liberator. He liberated women from bondage. Thank him for him, ladies. He's, he's liberated. He came to set captives free <clears throat> in Christ. <clears throat> there's neither Jew nor Greek. Lost my voice at the tomb. We're going to get it resurrected in a minute. <clears throat> in Christ. Jew nor Greek, male nor female. It's, we're one in him. And so they make their way to the tomb. But when they looked, they saw the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. In case you don't know, that's an angel. They see an angel in there, and they're very alarmed. When you see angels, you're always alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified... Here it is, Easter Sunday morning, resurrection morning. He is risen, exclamation mark. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, look at this, and Peter, that he's going before you into Galilee. There you'll see him as he said to you. 
They're at the tomb. The message there is go see the disciples. Tell them, but make sure you tell Peter. Peter feels so terrible. Of all the disciples, he feels like he's the worst of the worst. He's the most messed up, biggest failure. Make sure you tell Peter. Maybe you felt like you failed. Maybe you feel like more than anybody you have messed up. I have got good news for you. When you feel that way, Jesus will single you out. Jesus will single you out to make you feel special. He will single you out to lift you up. His resurrection power is designed not just as an historical event. His resurrection power is a power that lives, lives with us through the trials and the tragedies of life. It lifts us up. When we feel like we have blown it. Just like Karen's testimony. I feel like I tried this, I tried that. The resurrection power comes along and lifts us up. The women had gone to the tomb. They were afraid. Mary tells Peter and John. Peter and John, they run back to the tomb. John is a faster runner. He outruns Peter. They stand there at the tomb looking, wondering about to go in. And Peter says, I'll do it. He goes in and looks. He finds he's not there. They're a little bit perplexed. They go back. Later on, the women come back again and tell the disciples he is risen. And guess what, guys? They didn't believe them. They still didn't believe. They, they, Jesus, in Mark chapter 16, he comes and he rebukes the disciples. says, how come you didn't believe the women? I can just imagine that conversation. Well, I don't know, Lord. If, why did the women go? We should have gone. Like, why did the women go first? Who knows what they said? But the Lord was challenging them to believe. It was tough for them to believe. Through all of this... There's a special love that's going towards Peter, who felt like such a failure. During that time, we know, according to Luke's account, that the Lord appeared on that Sunday to Peter by himself. Again, just zeroing in his special love for Peter. Peter's comeback was about to happen. Peter goes with the rest of the disciples to Galilee, where the Lord said to to wait. They're in his house. They're hanging out. And Peter just says, you know what, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going fishing. I don't know what to do. Jesus said to wait. I'm waiting. Nothing's happening. Let's go fishing. And the other disciples, they said, okay, let's all go fishing. So they get in the boat out of the Sea of Galilee. They fish and they fish. They're not catching anything. Morning comes, and they look out on the shore from about here to the back of the building. They look out, and they see somebody's got a fire going. And the fellow out there says, hey, you guys, you have any food? And they said, no, we've been fishing all night. We don't have anything. And then John says to Peter, again to Peter, Peter's really, the spotlight's on Peter here. Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter says, wow, you're right. John, where's my coat? Grabs his coat on the boat, jumps in. Can't wait for the boat to be rowed to shore. He jumps in and he swims to shore. The Lord had told them to cast a net on the other side and they had caught this huge catch of fish. Peter gets ashore. John gets ashore. They're there. The Lord's got the fire ready, the meal's ready. And he says, bring up your fish. And you know Peter, he says, I'll go get it. And it's interesting, the Bible tells us exactly how many fish there were there. It says there's 153 large fish. I don't know how much a large fish weighs. Let's say for easy math, it weighs 10 pounds. 153 times 10, that'd be 1,500 pounds in a net. Peter by himself goes down to the shore and he drags 1,500 pounds worth of fish up onto the shore. Can you get a picture of Peter? I mean, he's this rough, brash, impetuous fisherman, a work in progress. And he drags the fish up and they have their meal together. 
And then I can hear the Lord saying to Peter, Peter, let's go for a walk. I want to talk to you. They go for a walk and three times, it's the three-peat. He had a three-peat at a fire before when he denied the Lord. Here's another three-peat because the Lord asked him three times. John chapter 21, verse 17, it's there in your notes. This is what he's saying to him. The third time, once more, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter was restored, loved, cared for. It could be pride. It could be fear. It could be addiction. It could be any number of things. And we feel like there's no way out of this. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, I'm in a hole so deep there's no way out of it. I cannot get out of this. You're right, you can't. But I know one who will lift you out. I know one, that power lifted him from the grave. And if that power can raise a dead man from the grave and lift him up into the heavens, I am sure that that power is great enough to lift you out of whatever situation you're in this morning. It could be whatever, but that resurrection power is available to you. Peter, from this point, on the day of Pentecost, he'd preach and 3,000 people give their life to Christ. When he would go up to pray one day, there's a lame man there, and Peter says to him, I don't have gold and silver to give you, but what I do have, I know what I have, I have this resurrection power, and what I do have, I give to you, and he raised up that man. Then later on, it says in Acts chapter 4, verses 13, and uh, verse 33, and when the, they saw the boldness of Peter, do you see that? The boldness of Peter, and with great power, not just any ordinary power, but this power of up, the great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. A great grace was upon them all. That's available for us. That great power is available for us. There's been a lot of books written about the power of positive thinking, and there is a power to it. But this is something on an HNL, a whole nother level. There is a resurrection power, folks, available to us. Wow. That same power that raised Christ from the dead and gave Peter that comeback can lift us up. Romans 8, 37 says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. The power that you get to know, the more you get to know Jesus, let me put it this way, the more you'll know that power of up. Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 10, it's on the last page of your notes there. Paul says this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Do you get the connection there? The more you know Jesus, the more you fall in love with him and embrace him, the same power that raised him from the dead, that same power gets infused into your life and into your problems. And you look back and say, how did that happen? I know I didn't do that. But somehow that power has lifted me out of that problem, that situation, the tragedy that I'm in. Your case is not too hard for God. You may be sitting here this morning and it looks impossible. It looks like everything is stacked against you. The lawyers have said it's against you. Your loved one said it's against you. The, the doctor may have said it's against you. But you've got somebody in your corner named King Jesus who says, it's not over. I believe in the comeback. I believe in your comeback. I'm there for you. He was there for Peter, and he's there for you, for your comeback. He's saying, come on, look up. Your redemption's not. Look up. I will lift you up. My resurrection power will take you out of there. 
That wasn't just an historical event that we could look back and say, yay, Jesus. No, that, that would be, it wouldn't be enough. He gave that for us that we could be more than conquerors in this life. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith in his resurrection power. Paul, when he said this, he'd written two-thirds of the New Testament. He'd been in and out of jail. He'd experienced a lot of life, and yet he's saying, oh, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. You could have been a Christian for a day. You may not know the Lord, or you may have been a believer for 56 years, but there's still something about, oh, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Part of our problem in our country is that we have so many distractions. We've got this, we've got that, that sometimes we lean on that. I'm challenging you this Easter Sunday morning, lean on our Lord. He's there for you. This has served humanity from that day until this day, the power of the resurrection. It's for us as we live here. But I want to tell you about another thing that that powerful resurrection will do. One day, we will be caught up. Acts chapter 1, verse 11, we read it earlier. It's there in your notes again. The angel said to the disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? They looked up into heaven. This same Jesus, not a different one, the same one who has taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus, taken up in front of them. They watch him go until they can't see him anymore in the clouds. Lifted up. Broke the power of the gravity broke through the physical realm, the spiritual realm, and taken up. You know, it takes a lot of horsepower to get you off the planet. I kid you not. July 1969, you might have remembered when the Apollo 11 landed, three astronauts got lifted up, Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, Michael Collins, sat strapped in this rocket, I like horsepower, but I didn't know this until I started looking into it. The rocket they were sitting on had a motor with 180 million horsepower. That's what it took for them to get a breakthrough. Here's a clip of it. There you go. Three men taken up. 
180 million horsepower sitting under a rocket like that to break free from the planet. And all they got to was the moon. (laughs) That's the biggest motor man ever built right there. 180 million horsepower. And our Bible says that we will all be taken up. Can you get a grasp of the horsepower? We will all be caught up. We will be taken up. Not by this kind of horsepower. I'm talking about the same horsepower that raised our Lord from the dead. I'm talking about the same horsepower that caused Peter to have a comeback and caused you to have a comeback. My message is simple today. There is a resurrection power of up that's available to every believer today. And God is extending that to you. It helps us to live in victory while we're on this planet. But there is a day coming, mark my word, where Jesus will come back. It's in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians six fourteen, And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up together with him where? In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. If you watch the news today at all, if you're looking around, this planet's getting tired, it's getting old, and there's so many prophecies that are coming to pass that our Lord will return. And the angel said it, I'm going to believe them. The scripture said it. I'm going to believe it, that he will come back. And we will meet him in the clouds where he was taken up to. And that resurrection power, you won't be strapped to a rocket. It will be the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ that will catch you up and you'll meet your Lord in the air. My question today is, are you ready for that? Have you thought about it? No doubt many of you have, but you could be here this morning and Easter was just a story to you. It was a bunny tail. It was here comes Peter Cottontail hopping down the bunny trail and Easter eggs. And it was really kind of confusing. What is Easter all about anyhow? Easter is about the Son of God who came and died for us that our sins would be atoned for, that we could come before a holy God, not based on what we did, but based upon what he's done for us. It's a gift to us. It costs a lot. It costs his precious blood. But to us, it's free. And like any gift, it has to be received. Unless the gift is received, it's not complete. But the minute we receive that gift, something happens within us. That life, that power becomes a part of our life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. 